Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Next Podcast. Matthew Miranda with you as always. Expected to be joined any second by Stacey Patton and today's special guest. Uh, there's a mad crush of Believe Nick Pods fans and they basically overran the green room and poor Stacey is in there signing autographs and kissing hands and shaking babies and doing whatever it takes to make the people happy. And get them out so he can get back here to the studio. So I expect him here any minute. Our guest should be here any minute as well. It's a good time in Nick Nation. A couple of relieving wins in different kinds of ways, although there's certainly not all clear skies in the nation. Uh, the blowout win over Monday in Houston, which I was happy to attend and was a hell of a game to see live. And then, obviously, the hard-fought, costly victory over Miami just last night. News coming out later today that Julius Randle was evaluated, has a sprained ankle, is expected to be reevaluated in two weeks. Don't know exactly yet where that places his return time. It's right around another regular season start of the playoffs. We'll have to wait and see. Right now it would all be speculation. Before going any further in the show, a reminder, as always, BetOnline remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at BetOnline. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at BetOnline. Updated odds for everything from live games, the Final Four, the championship games, BetOnline, Whatever you're watching is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. And if you didn't know, as I wait for Stacy and our guest, um, to arrive, there was an incident in Washington earlier this week that is an interesting intersection for a show that, like our show here, talks about the NBA and basketball, but opens and closes with a, an ad read for a gambling site. Very kind of canary in the coal mine-ish moment. Bradley Beal was walking off the court after the Wizards lost the game at home. As he's walking off the court, there's a group of fans, and one of the fans yells at Beal, um, basically says, you cost me fifteen, you cost me $1,300, you fuck. And Bradley Beal turns and comes back to the group, and when he arrives, he smacks the hat off of one of them, tells the guy, look, I don't give a fuck about your bets or your parlays, that's not why I play the game. The fan is now suing Beal for battery because he says his head hit his hand when he knocked off the hat it's real interesting uh, and i noticed this i went monday to the nick game in houston Uh, i hadn't been to madison square garden for a nick game in 30 something probably 30 years just about and you may be shocked to know that over 30 years a lot of things change the just gambling everywhere the signage, the ads, the in-game stuff, the contests, like, and then you see a story like the Beal story, and it's a really jarring reminder that, you know, 
are we sure that you have a grip on what you're playing with here? Because the money is just outrageous and the spread of the gambling opportunities and the gambling advertisements and the gambling money in sports. I, I'm really interested to see how the salary cap grows as a result of gambling revenues the next five or so years in the NBA. Um, it's a really... I really wonder if anyone has a proper estimate on exactly how much of an impact that's going to have. And that's just on the financial and that's just on the, the salary cap and, and max salary slots related to it. And, but when you just think on a human level, uh, there was the writer for, Oh God, he writes for real GM. His last name is Wilms. I know his first name starts with a J it's W I L M E S wrote a piece the other day and talked about how you're going to have more of these confrontations between grown men who, as, as Wilms put it, you know, grown men who have never been to therapy and have an unhealthy relationship with an expression of themselves through sports. And the game is increasingly being played by younger and younger people, children by some legal definitions. The NBA is now allowing, is going to start allowing high school kids to jump back again. And you're literally going to have a circumstance in the future where some high school kid playing garbage time in a meaningless game either gets a breakaway dunk with eight seconds left or hits a three or a turn something that costs the line and someone out there is going to lose a lot of money on that game and it i i don't feel confident that any of the powers that be are worried enough about that to soberly judge should we be in charge of this i i know it's Pollyanna-ish to think that a billion upon billion upon billion dollar industry is going to like ask for outside regulation. Um, but it just feels to me like what happened with Beal could have gone way out of hand if it's a different group of people around the guy who got hit, if the guy himself is a different kind of guy, if Beal is a different kind of guy, you know, It's a big, big can of worms that I don't think we've come anywhere close to to really getting into um, at this point in sports. And because you see it everywhere, basketball, baseball, every, soccer, every single sport, uh, I just think I think the Bradley Beal situation is a sign that there is more to come in this discussion. Uh, more to come in today's discussion is going to be a conversation about the Knicks. And we are now happy to welcome our special guest for the evening, our guest is the author of the What's on Tap with Tommy Beer newsletter. He is one of Nick Twitter's favorite Nick Cognoscenti and ranks somewhere between Tom Brady and Tommy D on the list of America's most beloved Tommies. Tommy Beer, welcome to the Believe Nick's podcast. How are you, sir? It's not a very high bar to, to, to cross over, but, um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy, happy to be on. Um, I love Nick's Twitter. Love, uh, love everybody out there. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on to chat a little bit about the Knickerbockers. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I know we have you for a little time today, so I want to get right into it and ask about a an unfortunate parallel that has has um, now occurred at the end of this season, as the same as last season. Julius Randle announced today he's down with a sprained ankle. He will be evaluated again in two weeks. There is never a good time to lose your All NBA power forward. Um, but maybe the Knicks are in a better position than some other teams that have had injuries of this liking because there's not that much left at stake for them. It seems like they should, barring a, a Mets-level 2007 disaster, they should hold on to the five seed. Um, Randall is now out, which means, ostensibly, for the next few games, just like at the end of last season, we're going to see Obi Randall getting a lot... I mean, sorry, <laughs> Obi Toppin getting a lot of playing time. Um Last year, he accorded himself very, very well um, in games of questionable meaning, but all you can do is play. Is there something that you are going to be looking for in particular in Toppin's performance that either gives you or the Knicks an inkling of a dimension they might not have realized that they had going into the playoffs with an opponent who has a really kind of daunting front line and even maybe Toppin's future as a part of the team or not? Yeah, so you know, first and foremost, um, the news about Randall 
Um, you know, it's obviously not welcome news, but, you know, and, and I understand the, the, uh, the hesitancy uh, from Nick fans' perspective to be concerned about the, you know, because, again, it's not saying he'll be back in two weeks. It's saying he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And considering the game one of the playoff series is, I figure they'll most likely start on that Saturday, which is the 15th. Maybe they next day start on that Sunday. Um, but that Knicks-Cavs, assuming it's Knicks and Cavs, will be one of the marquee matchups um, in all of, uh, you know, certainly in, in the conference and, and NBA in general. Um, so you just said, you know, it could have been worse. You know, hopefully they're not dealing with a high ankle sprain. It, you assume that there was a fracture or anything more significant along those lines we would have found out already. Um, so all you can do at this point is, um, you know, hope that he kind of, you know, can recuperate, obviously stay off it for a couple of weeks. Um, and that works wonders. Um, and the other thing is, if you're trying to look for a silver lining, he seemed to be struggling a little bit. Obviously, he had that stretch of three technicals and the, you know, the emotional outburst towards uh, directed at Emmanuel quickly. And even the first half, the you know, you know, the, he was scoreless. So I believe for the first in the first quarter, but that was the first time all season. Didn't look like himself in the last game. Kind of didn't uh, looks passive. Um, maybe this will. Um, give him some some time off uh, away from the court to kind of reset, recharge the battery. Um, we know that he, um, you know, led the league or second in the league in minutes all season. Had you know tremendous wear and tear going back over the last three seasons. So maybe this is just an opportunity for him to kind of rest, relax, do some yoga, do some deep breathing, um, and enter the playoffs recharged and refreshed. Obviously, you'd like it to be of his own accord as opposed to having to sit. Um, and, and ice his ankles, you know, 23 hours a day. Uh, but, but that's where the Knicks are. And the other thing, um, you know, if you're looking for, uh, you know, uh, the, the flip side of the coin, uh, another potential, um, you know, uh, benefit of this unfortunate uh, injury is, as you mentioned, the OB Toppy situation. Um, the OB fans have been calling for Mr. Toppin to receive significant minutes, you know, going on years now. Um, we saw what he did, as you mentioned, the end of last season, uh, played incredibly well in games that weren't all that meaningful. Um, and here we are now. He's going to have an opportunity to play significant minutes. Fortunately for New York, we know that Josh Hart can play the four. Um, you know, Tibbs has talked about RJ playing the four. Um, Sims might get some increased minutes off the bench. So there's, you know, it's not like they're locked in. It's not like Obi's going to, you know, all of a sudden play 30 minutes a night. Um, if he's struggling, Knicks will have some opportunities to mix and match, especially in their closing lineups and we saw a perfect you know for instance yesterday um when the knicks went that with that uh, josh hart at four and you know slash ran uh, slash back um so again plenty of options to succeed but yeah listen ob's been asking for this opportunity you know he's in private conversations been hoping you know for, it certainly wouldn't wish injury on Rand, uh, on randall but you know he's a confident player guy was a national player of the year top eight pick in the draft he's you know he's, he's shown in spurts the end of the last season what he can do when given extended opportunities and he talked about i don't have to look over my shoulder i know i'm playing more than six minutes at a stretch i can you know um as far as on the court i hope that the knicks put him in position to succeed um tim's you can you can criticize Tibbs for a bunch of things. Um, you credit him for a lot of things, and I'm sure we've all had those conversations, and we will con- continue to do so. Um, one thing I've been critical of Tibbs for is his utilization of Obi Toppin, um, basically since the day he arrived. Um, this was a guy that was a that was a post scorer, um, led the NCAA in dunks during his his, his uh, final season at Dayton. Um, and basically been relegated to a corner spot up three point shooter uh, with in New York. It's only gotten worse this season. You know, if you look at it in terms of percentage of field goal attempts from three point territory as opposed to in the paint. Um, I want to see uh, him get some dribble handoff opportunities top of the key, some isolation opportunities on the block mid range. Some of the stuff that they basically utilized Randall do. Um, I think it would benefit the team. I think it would benefit Obi to give him some of those opportunities uh, to see what he can do. Because one, you don't know if you're going to, how much you're going to need him in the playoffs. Does Randall miss game one and game two? Is he out the whole first round? Is he, Even if he's back on game one, um, it, it can only benefit by increasing the, the confidence of a key player that's going to play 12, 15 minutes a night um, in the best case scenario, meaning Randall's fully healthy. So um, very interested to see how these next five games play out. You mentioned Hart, and um, one thing that really stood out, you wrote about it, and I had noticed it too in, a, in in my recap, that lineup that when the Knicks faced the, kind of the, the crucible quarter of their season, fourth quarter against Miami, here it is, 
and it's a lineup that hasn't played a single second together all season. And you mentioned that, um, you know, Hart's playing at the four. Barrett it was also Hartenstein, Grimes, and quickly in the playoffs. All coaches shorten rotations, and Thibodeau in the first place seems to play shorter rotations than most people. Do you think we would ever see that kind of a lineup again in the playoffs? Like it had success, we know it can do something. It's an interesting idea to go forward. Do you? Let me. I'm sorry. I meant to ask it this way. A lot of players on the Nick bench have been extremely productive and had had great moments this season. And Tommy Beer appears for the moment to have disappeared. So I'm going to turn the question to Stacy until perhaps Tommy gets back. Um, Stacy Patton, almost every single member of the Nick bench has it has really stood out this season in one way or another. I don't see Tom Thibodeau sticking to a nine-man rotation come the playoffs. Who's out or who has to be in? I mean, or is it possible that in this year where we've seen Thibodeau kind of show us some moves we didn't know he had before, could he be open to? I mean, there's no way for you to know. But if if the rotation is going to get cut, who do you think or who do you fear is going to get cut? Um, before the playoffs, I would have said Obi. Um, if they had to cut someone, I wasn't sh- like I could have seen that happening. Um, you know, it, it can come from anywhere. A couple years ago, it was Elf, obviously, right um, midway through the playoffs. But um, I'm not the first. I'm not the first person to suggest this. Uh, Frank Barrett, aka Jeff Rasmussen from the Strickland, huge Obi fan. We all are, but at this point, it feels like you know if he's really just going to be, if it's just not working, maybe it is worth going to more heart at the four, especially since the real strength of this team is guards. Um, so my answer would be, if you have a healthy Julius, I would say Obi. If you don't have a healthy Julius, I think they don't shorten it. And then the two things that I would be curious about in terms of Tibbs being creative, um, one seems like a way better idea than the others, but uh, I think both have, these are both Cavs specific. I mean, I'm assuming right now we're playing the Cavs. Anything can happen, but that looks like the most likely matchup. So if they play the Cavs, there's two big things. They have obviously two really talented frontline players in Mobley and Allen. And the other thing is that they have a couple of guards who are <coughs> a pain in the ass um, in you know in pick and roll. I talked earlier today on Twitter with a with a with Braden Todd, a great follow if you want to do reconnaissance on the Cavs. Very knowledgeable um, tweeter on the Cavs, but he was saying that yeah, the Cavs test your point of attack defense depth. So one player I like if Tibbs was going to get creative and actually live up to the situational thing. I wonder if he will use Deuce McBride. Um, Not to say the Knicks don't have good point-of-attack defenders, but one thing I've noticed is, I mean, something he's often gone back and forth is quickly and Hart are are solid point-of-attack defenders, but they're elite off-ball defenders. So the thing is, when you deploy them on on a primary ball handler, we saw it. Hart was on Jamal Murray at the end of the Nuggets game that they won. And he did a great job, but you do lose what he gives you off ball. Same thing with quickly, and that's why I think often RJ will going, guard will going, will guard at the point of attack, uh, you know, even against the smaller guard because I think they really like quickly off ball, and, and RJ I think is better on ball than off ball as well, and Grimes is better on ball than off ball. Um, but having said that, you know, the depth, given that depth, you know, and and blowing up things like dribble handoffs and really just coming in and being a pest for a few minutes, I would be curious to see if they brought in a little more Deuce McBride. And the other thing is, I wonder if they would go to two bigs, you know, if if Randall is going to be out for that Cavs series. I do wonder if, you know, you have Obi as an option at the four, you have Hart as an option at the four, you have RJ as an option at the four. I wonder if you would try Sims again. Um, it, they tried it early in the year. Those lineups actually... I think we're net positive and, um, and we're really good on defense, but an eyesore on offense. But quickly has improved since then. Hartenstein has improved since then. I wonder if he would go back to those. But other than that, um, beyond those two things, um, I think that I wouldn't see him shortening the rotation. I don't know that I would have anyway, um, based on you know just um, just the fact that if it's broke, I think he's an if it's broke, don't fix it type of person. But Especially with the Randall injury now, I don't see him shortening the rotation because the most likely spot would have been Obi. Tommy, I meant to ask you if if Randall is available at some point in the series, 
one of the Knicks' strengths has been the bench this season. Someone's going to have to sit. Someone's going to get cut. Do you have any feels feelings about who you think that would be, or who you wish it would or would not end up being? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think uh, if they go to if they stick with the nine and Randall's out for these these next five games, I would like to see Deuce McBride get 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 that get those rotation minutes, um, just because I think defensively we've seen him contribute um, both ends of the floor, especially if he's knocking down shots. Um, I just kind of like that feel. Um, you know, we just just what he brings to both ends of the floor. Um, obviously he's not going to take power forward minutes. Um, but again, you know, with Barrett and the positional versatility of a guy like Josh Hart, um, you know, I, I think you have some, some options there, some versatility. Um, and it'll be interesting if Sims gets those minutes. Uh, but again, I think so much of it, um, as you guys were saying, is dependent upon matchups. Cleveland, for instance, um, you got, you know, assuming Jared Allen's healthy and, and Mobley's healthy in, in the, in the postseason, um, that's, that's a really tough matchup to kind of go small against, um, you know, and, and, leap hard on the floor playing the floor basically what we saw at the end of last game so um a lot of it i think will, will depend on matchups if randall's not available for the first round do you think that those knicks can beat the Cavs? Ooh, that's a that's a tall order um it's a really good Cavs team um you know they they, they do a lot of things well well coached um you're gonna have a lot of motivated athletes over here obviously Number one being Donovan Mitchell, um, who was uh, basically, um, you know, abused by Jalen Brunson in the first round last season. Um, so, listen, I, I think with, you know, Randall, a healthy Randall, we we did the pod earlier today before we heard the Randall news. Um, so just kind of assuming he would have been healthy. I, I My feeling was seven game series close in the second half of game seven. Uh, I think these teams are that closely matched up. You know, they, I, I, without Randall, I think you're asking a lot. I think that the, the momentum swing would, would, would be significant in, in favor of Cleveland. Um, th- that doesn't mean the Knicks don't have a puncher's chance. Um, you know, we'll find out a lot about how Obi fits into that starting unit. Um, I wouldn't count out. I definitely wouldn't count out a team that has Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, um, the sixth man of the year, Emmanuel Quickly, um, Hardenstein, arguably the, the best backup center in the NBA. They're a really good team, a lot of depth. They aren't reliant upon their leading scores. Many, many other teams are. You know, if the Bucks lose their leading score, series over. If the Celtics lose the lead, you know. If Embiid is out, series over for the Sixers. For the Knicks, they obviously can, can you know, deal with that a little bit better, um, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, improve defensively, but then Obi has to step in. Um, that would really be a tall order um, to, you know, that, that would be a lot to ask. I would say um, that would sig- obviously significantly reduce their chances. And I would say from a 50-50, you know, or 60-40 maybe in the Knicks' favor, 55-45 in the Knicks' favor, well, both teams fully healthy, that would, I would say, shifted like 25-75 in favor of Cleveland, maybe so it's 30 70, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I know your time was limited, Tommy. We're very, very grateful to have had you on tonight. Um, and look forward to maybe getting some more of you in the future, hopefully, maybe during the playoffs. Um, but thanks a lot and take care, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, look forward to stop by again. Is there a Tommy before you leave? Is there anything you want to plug or uh, shout out to our listeners? Uh, shout out to the listeners. Shout out to Nick's Twitter. You guys, the best. Um, at Tommy Beer on Twitter. But uh, yeah, just uh, I appreciate all you guys' support. And um, I, you know, seasons like this aren't promised to anybody. Um, and just playing competitive games late in March. Um, love interacting with all you guys and then the feedback, positive, negative, everyone in between. Um, nobody, there's no fan base quite like the Nick fan base. So I'm really appreciative. Um, to have uh, somewhat limited interaction, but still a, a way to, to correspond with you guys. So love hopping on shows like this and, and talk with you guys on Twitter. So um, keep up the great work and um, let's, uh, let's have some fun these next few weeks. All right. Thanks so much, Tommy. Take care, man. Tommy beer, everybody. America's best Nick Twitter, Tommy of the bunch. Uh, how's it going, Stacey? Low bar there, huh? <laughs> I told him in the intro yeah, that, what he an was, that he ranked somewhere between Tom Brady and Tommy D in terms of popularity, and he was like, "That's not a very high bar." <laughs> that is a very wide range, I'll tell you that. Speaking of wide range, the New York Knicks' last two victories have encompassed a wide range of type. Um, Monday, a just second half beatdown of the Houston Rockets. And then last night, a very different uh, 
in tone and significance and type of win uh, against the Heat to essentially clinch at least the sixth seed um, and hopefully the fifth. Uh, Stace, I haven't talked to you um, since either game went down. I have thoughts from both of them. I was lucky enough to be at the game on Monday, so I had very like in-person thoughts and feels and, and awareness. And then the game last night was all kinds of emotions rolled over 48 minutes. I'm curious what has stood out to you over the last uh, couple of games for the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, that Houston game, I knew that was a get-right game, and I don't really think they got right in the ways that I wanted them to. Um, I um, <clears throat> I mean, I think what stood out to me about that game was, you know, there were several players that game, not even all of them had <clears throat> great games, but when they wanted to do something on offense, it was it just looked so easy. Like, R.J. Barrett, statistically, I think he only had 19 points. When he wanted to get where he wanted to go, he got there. Um, like, the Rockets basically mugged him a few times and got away with it, and it almost seemed like the refs felt bad for them. Uh, I felt that way about Randall. Uh, and the player who, you know, took home the honors of that night, and it was most clear, and, and, and it was most different from some of his other big games, was Emmanuel Quickly, where he had 40, obviously, but, you know, against the Celtics, he had to make some tough shots. You know, he was playing really hard against the Rockets. And again, the Rockets are not a good defense, um, but it just looks so easy for quickly. Like, just he wanted, he got wherever he wanted to go on every possession. He didn't really have to take a single tough shot on the night. Um, and um, it, it looked like he was playing in a G League game. <coughs> and, you know, that might be a commentary on the Rockets, but it's also a comment on how much ahead he was of, again, an NBA team. <coughs> but, um, but beyond that, I wasn't super impressed with the team as a whole. Defense has been a nagging issue. And, um, you know, before Jalen Green got hurt, didn't really love the defense. They have 61 points in the first half to not a good offensive team. A lot of it was one-on-one buckets. But, uh, you know, it wasn't – I didn't see – like, I thought that, you know, they come in against a discombobulated young team. I'd love to see this team just come out and suffocate the other team on defense. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was a different story. Yesterday meant a lot more. Um, I think <coughs> the fact of the matter is losing um, losing Randall was massive. And Brunson either wasn't 100% healthy, but either way, they didn't bring him back uh, late in the game. So without Brunson and without Brunson, Randall, and they also didn't close with Mitchell Robinson. So they're closing yeah. with without arguably their three best players. You know, mm-hmm. people might argue about Mitch. They they took it to the, the Heat, uh, a veteran Heat team, full health. Uh, well, Lowry didn't play, but um, you know, given the success Emmanuel quickly had down the stretch, I think that would have been worse for them uh, if they played Kyle Lowry. So yeah, like it was um, it was everything you want to see, and it, it showed the mental toughness. And um, you know, I, you hate this. Like I don't think there is no way to spin this Randall injury as good. But I think getting comfortable with that hard at the four lineup, or if you want to call it RJ at the four lineup, or if they have some versatility, mm-hmm. being able to go to that as a look, um, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. And like under like, especially if Randall is able to come back at full health, if you now have that in your back pocket, it's interesting. It's a good look. Um, so, but um, you know, as far as the as far as the takeaways from the last two games. The big one is Emmanuel quickly is a starting level point point guard who happens to be a utility super sub here on a lot of teams. He would be starting point guard. Um, RJ Barrett, I think has turned a corner a little bit. Um, we can talk about it a little bit more, but there's been a lot of RJ Barrett has probably been one of the more polarizing players on the Knicks. My take is that I don't think he's been great. I think some of the people who are really out on him are overblowing things. But, um, you know, I think that yesterday was a great example of why, you know, I wouldn't, even if you're disappointed in the season, which is fair to be, I wouldn't be out on him because, you know, he was 0 for 8 in in the first half, Um, you know, against a team he usually dominates. Um, Mm -hmm. But instead of kind of, you know, what we've seen sometimes is that he has a tendency to, to kind of keep banging his head against the wall or whatever. 
he adapted. He started playing off the ball more. Uh, you know, let the game come to him. Really redoubled his efforts on defense and made a bunch of winning plays. He ended up going four for five for eleven points in the second half, and and was really important. And from a mental standpoint, as from like an understanding of the game standpoint, it's really what you'd want to see. Uh, and then the last thing I haven't shouted him out enough, but Isaiah Hardenstein has been massive for this team. Like quickly, I would say that he would start for a lot of teams. But he, he closed yesterday and he was he was better than Mitchell Robinson. That that's this he is not the a whole nice fourth way. quarter and he did it well. Um, and it's just so many things. You know, I tweeted this earlier, but uh, his assists per game have gone up every month since like November, mm. and this month they actually doubled. So last month was his high for the season in February, average one assist per game. That was the highest of the season for a month. This season, this month he's averaging two point two assists per game, mm-hmm. which is right about in line with his Clippers average and. I think at the beginning of the season, we kind of got both the worst of both worlds because, you know, he ha- he like, he's been, for most of his career, not a great defensive rebounder. I don't know if it wasn't emphasized or what, but he, like, or I think that most people suggest it's just it was a lack of strength. So he was kind of a weakness on the glass. He hadn't adapted to the Knicks' defensive scheme, so wasn't helping the defense. And, um, and you know, they weren't using him on offense to his strengths, you know, as a playmaker. And what you've seen is... Um, is now like obviously like he's really worked on his rebounding. He's actually just right up there with Mitch. Um, you know his on-off stats are great, but also now you're seeing him, um, you know, th- throwing passes from the top of the key. I think quickly had an amazing pass last night where he's in the corner. He he bumped he like he did he pumped faked and then he found a crazy angle for Hartenstein. Mm-hmm. Hartenstein deserves just as much credit because he cut from the opposite side. Uh, and the Knicks haven't, frankly, had as many centers who, who with that kind of feel for the spacing and all that. So Hartenstein has just been terrific, man, and he's going to play an important part in, in whatever series they play. Mm-hmm. Hartenstein, I was going to ask um, Beer about it. Beer wrote earlier today about Josh Hart and in praise of the do-it-all player, which the Knicks have not always had a lot of that kind of player on the team. Other than kind of abandoning the outside shooting, which I don't really mind. I think that's within how the Knicks work, and they'd rather have their centers um, near the near the rim to... I think they value Hardenstein's offensive rebounding more than whatever he might do shooting. But he has been incredible at pretty much everything else. You know, you can, you can play him with handoffs. You can have him facilitate facing the basket behind the arc. You can... You know, he pick it and roll. He'll actually set a solid pick sometimes. His presence on the glass, his presence on the other. Like he's not, he must feel a lot better than he did earlier in the season because there was just stretches early. There were long stretches for the first few months where it just looked like this person had obvious limitations and it was hard to understand. I was very excited about him. Of, of all their moves, I think, in the offseason, I was so excited to see this kind of big man that they haven't had since Kylo Quinn, maybe. Yeah, that um, was really when they got him. And I love, I love point anybody's any kind of front court point. I love that. So I'm all excited. And I admit, like, I was completely done with him. Like, absolutely at a point of like, this is comedic. This guy's like Charlie Brown with the football. Like everything always goes wrong around him. And then he has been brilliant. And one of the fingers crossed that there's no more catastrophic injuries. Biggest differences about this team going into this postseason, even with the opponent versus a couple of years ago, is going into a playoff series knowing that you have Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein with Sims way in the back if you need them, versus going in with Nerlens Noel, who did a great job that year, like in a lot of things, but Noel just size wise and Taj Gibson versus Clint Capella. There's like a... I don't remember where it's from. It's a comic strip. It's from... Is it a far side? Where there's like a... Oh, God. It's like a gerbil. It's a guinea pig. It's a bunch of guinea pigs and a real pig. And the, Oh, sorry. It's from Family Guy. It's a bunch of little tiny guinea pigs and a regular pig. And the pig is looking down and he's like, oh, I, we all know who's in charge here. Like, he's too happy to be that kind of... I think it's the same kind of thing um, I think it's the same kind of thing with whoever I was just talking about and have now forgotten about. 
good lord says who was i talking about hartenstein hartenstein yeah hartenstein i don't remember how i got to guinea pigs and <laughs> hartenstein um but so beer made a point about um josh hart and i think hartenstein is kind of i think the nick bench in addition to the bigs i feel really good they had a good bench a couple of years ago alec burks had had a remarkable season quickly was a part of that bench but i feel really good about this bench like i feel like this bench is a place the knicks have an edge over the cavaliers yeah i mean i did a ranking of the knicks players and the Cavs. if you rank them all um one through you know all the players in the rotation uh there are a couple of idiots on the sides who had the random you know i think the Cavs fans some Cavs fans were like how could you rank brunson over Garland? Um, like that's just insane. I, you know, I think that the most, the only really intelligent responses I got, basically, most people would agree that Mitchell is by far the best player in the series. Um, and I'll, like, look, what happened with the trade? Uh, that guy has been playing at an MVP level this year. Um, he's become the kind of defender I was skeptical he would become here, and was worried about that with Brunson. Um, he's upped his three-point volume and efficiency to just almost Steph-type levels. Um, he's that kind of shooter um, while bringing rim pressure. He's just been, like, he will be the best player in that series by far. That's not a knock on Randall or Brunson. He is just that good. Uh, and with the added motivation against playing for his hometown team, um, and, um, and, you know, Brunson really kind of, he really he kind of put the final nail in the coffin for Mitchell's career in Utah. Whatever you thought about his engagement, I'm sure he remembers that, uh, being the competitor that he is. And um, with all that extra motivation, which he probably doesn't need because he's that good, I expect Donovan Mitchell to go off that series flat out. Like I, I just I don't. <laughs> I think the Knicks will have good schemes. I think they like it'll be interesting to see. They have the defenders to give him a hard time, but he's just that good. Um, like you put Grimes on him, you put Deuce on him, you put quickly on him. I don't think it's gonna matter. Uh, and then I think that two to four range, I think most sane Nixon Cavs fans would agree that the two to four range is Brunson, Randall, um, Garland. That is the order I had them in. If you're a Cavs fan and you're like Garland is better than both of them, I'm not gonna hate on that. If you're a Knicks fan, you're like, Randall is better than Brunson. I personally disagree because they run their offense really through Brunson. Like, he is the more reliable creator. But you know what? There's something to be said about the fact that Randall was the statistically had the higher rebounding. And how do you value that? Uh, and then, you know, you had kind of the mid-tier, which is like Jared Allen, Mitchell Robinson. Quickly, I would probably put in the same tier. And then Mobley, I would put in his own tier above that. So, sorry, if it was confusing. Uh, the only other controversy, there were people who said Mobley maybe should be in that top tier with the other four guys. That, to me, is interesting. I Before the season, I would have said Mobley was better than everyone in the Knicks. I was very low on Julius Randle coming into the season. Um, Mobley's offensive progression hasn't been quite what I've seen, thought it would be. Um, you know, the efficiency hasn't been there, but he is versatile, and he is a, an elite defender. And we'll see, like, what he could bring in. I mean, Talent-wise, you know, 10, 15 games in, me and Schwinn were giving him Tim Duncan comps. So, like, uh, there's no question about his talent. How close is he to that? He'll be fascinating to watch that series. But to answer your question, like, in the 7 through 12 range, when I was ranking, it's like, okay, oh, uh, it's quickly. Oh, it's definitely – like, I was like, okay, who on the Knicks is – like, the next guy on the Cavs is Karis LeVert. Right, or if you like Chetty Osman or whoever, like there is that you know the Levert line. Right. I was like, how many players after quickly can I rank about above Levert? I was like, well, definitely Josh Hart, right? Way better all around player, for especially what we asked him to do. Uh, well, definitely RJ, right? He's bigger, scores more, uh, and it's not like Levert is efficient either. And and I trust RJ more in defense. I think RJ does more things than Levert does too. Yeah, and, Lever- and like Lavert isn't some great shooter. Like that's the only thing that no, I. No, he's not. Um, so like he's a player. Like he went to Michigan. I like Lavert a lot, but uh, he what he has turned into is what I think the caricature of RJ is, which is an inefficient volume scorer. Doesn't bring much on defense. 
um, which RJ most of the time is better than that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm taking Grimes over that, right? Better defender, much more reliable shooter. Like, we don't really need him to create on the ball. Um, like, why would I not take Hartenstein? We just talked. He's just saying his praises. So I looked at, like, there's, like, the entire Knicks bench I would take over, like, everyone after the Cavs top four. And I think that probably pissed up some Cavs fans off, too. But I think, like, the rational ones were like, yeah, like, it is our top four, which is elite. Their top four is elite, right? Especially if Mobley, like, takes another leap in this playoff series. <laughs> um, that's elite. Uh, versus the fact that our bench is maybe the best in the NBA. And then the only, and then the other wild card beyond that, I think, I think there's two really big wild cards. Is you know, I think the Cavs, like they have two great guards, and I think it's going to be tough on the Knicks. I expect them to have big series. Garland maybe less so, uh, and I think the bigs are going to be a little bit of a wash unless Julius Randle's not healthy. But I think where the Knicks really could turn the series is if RJ Barrett has a big time series, right? Like if you try to put Karis LeVert on him, punish him. Um, you know, if you put if you have a Coro in the game like RJ Rome or let you know get quickly or Hart or like another great help defender on there and RJ just really disrupt things at the point of attack, RJ is an X factor in that series. Um, but on the other side, you know, a lot of Cavs fans were telling me, look, Isaac Okoro since January has been shooting 43% from three. Yep. Now it's mostly quarter threes. I don't think they're mm-hmm. not treating him like a shooter. So this is like Jeremy Grant in Denver, but you got to start somewhere. So, you know, it's remains to be seen if he's really just going to be a guy that Knicks can cheat off of. And if he's playable in that series, he's a defensive playmaker who has given the Knicks trouble at times. Um, so I think for them, you know, while I say that the Knicks after the top four, the Knicks have a significant advantage. He's a guy that can narrow that gap as well. And, and he's had the talent to do so. And, uh, you know, against any other team besides the Knicks, he's a tough player not to root for. So, I think Okoro is a swing player in the series. I think if he's hitting shots, he's out there. And especially if Randall is out, I think Cleveland could look to attack Brunson defensively a lot with Okoro, which just is something you'd like to stay away from if you can. So, if I he's mean, I, I think shot... my, my counter would be that if you have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, and you're going to run your offense through Isaac Okoro, like, I'll live with that. So that's, I guess, my only retort. But like you're saying, uh, Isaac Yeah, he can make that uh, a bad equation as well. And Isaac Okoro, who's not going to, who's going to literally go 0 for 4 from the field versus one who's going to hit one or two threes every game in a playoff series that might be very tight otherwise. Um, I just don't want to see him near Brunson. I have, I, I keep trying to imagine, I keep having, like, daydream nightmares of how Cleveland might attack the Knicks with Randall out because I feel like I just saw this with Atlanta and Randall like two years ago and I trust Brunson more because he's I think he's a better ball handler he's a guard I think he sees the floor better but I there's a million reasons obviously I want Randall back like as soon as possible but and I don't want to see Isaac Okoro draped on Jalen Brunson for seven games for sure let me ask you this you mentioned Mobley before if you tomorrow could sign up for five years of Evan Mobley or five years of, good Lord, Jermaine Jackson. Is it Jermaine Jackson Jr.? No, Jermaine Jackson was one of the, Jer- the Jackson Five. <laughs> good Lord. Who about Jared? Jared Jackson Jr. <laughs> Jared. Okay, you can have Jermaine Jackson. You can have Jermaine Tito. was the one that married Barry Gordy's daughter, right? So. Okay, so he's taken. So you can have Mobley or you can have Jaron Jackson Jr. Because I looked at Jaron Jackson Jr. for a while the way I feel. Like, for a while I wondered, like, is he, he came up with all the hype and all the skill and the, the body and everything. And for many years, that probably hasn't even been many years, but it feels like it has. I felt for however many years he's been in the league, like, okay, I see that he can do things, but I'm not seeing the whole... And then this year, I feel like, oh, okay, that's the that's the whole. And so I wonder, like Mobley, do you see Mobley as a similar kind of player to Jackson? Do you think there's a higher upside, or or the same, or less? So let me preface this by saying, Jaron Jackson Jr. went to Michigan State, which makes me not like him. <laughs> but when he was at Michigan State, 
the year he was there, Michigan swept Michigan State. And in the games he played, I noticed two things. I noticed that he would go guard Michigan's best player, Moritz Wagner, for two possessions in the beginning. He, in both games we played them, he swatted the shit out of two of Morris Wagner's shots. Well, Wagner, you might remember from the awful fucking loss we had against the Magic recently. I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult the Magic. They've been playing 500 ball for 50 games. It's just, it was a frustrating stretch. Was bad that was the one the loss match? where it's like, I was more upset about the Wolves loss than that. Like, the, mm. the Magic are mm. legit good. Um, mm. But anyway, he would guard Mo for two possessions, dominate him. And then his coach moved most overrated coach in college basketball, Tom Izzo, moved him off off of Mo, and Mo just went off on their other big, who was more of a traditional big. Um, anyway, in that draft, I had Jaron Jackson Jr. first in the draft. If you recall the other games in that draft, the one name that I I would still put him at number two at this point, but in a redraft, the guy who would go above him uh, is a guy you may have heard of. His name is Luka Doncic. So. I was wrong in ranking Jaron Jackson Jr. above Luca, but um, but I did have Luca number two, um, and um, and you know I had Shea top five as well. Although if you're looking mm. at bad draft takes, I had Shea in the top five, and then I thought, well, the Knicks shouldn't take him probably because they already have Frank Nilakina and they're redundant. I thought the so, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, that was a bad take. Um, <laughs> like everyone talks about Michael Bridges, of course he's a great player. Or MPJ, like uh, you guys, you guys see who at 11th and is like averaging 30 a game now and a fucking beast. Um, anyway, the point I was is- dismissive of Jason Tatum as a possible. If the Knicks moved up in the draft, I was like, they don't need Tatum because they got Melo. <laughs> was he still on the team at that time? It was just around, yeah, it was just around that time. Yeah, uh, the lesson is you can't have too many wings and also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I think Jason Tatum, like Melo, is a good comp for him. He's a bit, way better defender, but stylistically. But um, you know, the point I'm making with Jackson is I've been high on him. That said, he is not a good rebounder. His three, like I, I, I yeah, like why not. I like Jackson. Why I like Jackson is I think three point shooting and rebound and um and shot blocking is like one of the most rare skills. It's why if the Knicks keep the Mavs pick. The number one guy who I'm really high on is Taylor Hendricks, who's an elite shot blocker and shoots 40% from three on high volume. <laughs> um, it's why there is a certain person who is supposed to be getting an extension in Washington, has had experience in New York, but at full health with some clear uh, remorse about how his time ended in New York. There is a player in Washington who's seven foot three, shoots the shit out of the ball, and can block shots. I would not mind bringing him back at all. That is the rare skill set. Mobley does not have the three-point shooting down, but Jared Jackson is still at 34%, which to be a stretch five is really all you need, but it's not like he's cat. He's a really good shot blocker. He's probably going to win defensive player of the year, but I think Mobley's shown that potential. And depending on who you ask, he's either in that conversation or like on the cusp of that conversation. Um, and I think in terms of feel and doing stuff with the ball in his hands on offense, he's much more advanced than Jared Jackson was at his age. So to answer your question, I'm taking Mobley. Like, would I take Mobley in a seven-game series now versus Jackson is a legitimate question. I would lean Jackson, but it's very close, and um, and Mobley's a few years younger. So like for the next few years, and looking at his growth, and I, I, I'm telling you, like, yeah, I I don't think that Tim Duncan comp was insane. Like, I think he's a generational mm-hmm. prospect, uh, and I think he could end up being one of the top 10, 20 best players of all time. Just that combination of mobility skill coordination feel motor um athleticism like those are you're talking about an unprecedented combo there so like in this draft you wouldn't take him over Wambanyama. you would have a serious case or scoot henderson um and he'd go number one in most drafts i like jalen green's been a great scorer people were like well he deserved to go number two now relax all right like if you watch both ends of the floor if you watch evan mobley this year and that is one thing i ranked evan mobley fifth a lot of Cavs fans for like, oh, I don't know, like he's better. And like, I'll give it to him. Like his stats haven't been great this year. If you watch the Cavs play, he's he's a really good fucking player. Yeah. Is Jaron Jackson Jr. much better than Miles Turner? Yes. It's not close. Uh, he's a real, sh- like Miles Turner, people don't close out on him. People will close out. I, I 
poo-pooed his three-point percentage a little bit, but he is a real threat from three. Mm-hmm. Um, he is in, in, on defense. It's like Miles Turner isn't a great rebounder. That's Jaron Jackson Jr.'s weakness. As far as switchability and like help defense and all of those things, it's why like like there is a player like I would take Mitchell Robinson over Miles Turner. Like by a hand. Oh, I, yeah, I would too. The rebounding is. Yeah, well, I would I would take Jaron Jackson over Mitch. So that's I guess part of it. But I think what Jaron Jackson Jr. allows you, like, <clears throat> here's like, and this is what kind of the intrigue for Taylor Hendricks is for me in the draft is, I think that like what could take, like in a playoff series, having an ace in the hole, is a big deal. Now I'm not saying the Knicks are the the peak Warriors, but one thing the Warriors had was they could go small with Draymond Green at the five. Is there something that would allow the Knicks to play Julius Randle at the five? Well, what you'd want, especially under Tibbs, but really, like, Tibbs isn't wrong about this. You would like that player next to him, the other front court player, to be able to block shots and shoot threes. Another reason why I wouldn't mind bringing back Przingis. That's not to say I'm trying to move Mitchell Robinson out of here or Isaiah Hartenstein. I just want this in the Knicks' back pocket. Mm-hmm. So a player who could shoot threes and block shots so, but like the thing is, that's really rare. Jaron Jackson Jr. is one guy who can do that. So he gives you some lineup flexibility, right? You can play him like a guy like Montres Harrell, right? Who's more limited than Julius Randle. You can only play him next to certain kinds of bigs because he can't shoot, but he also can't protect the rim. So that makes it so like Jaron Jackson Jr. opens up your lineup opportunities, right? That he's that kind of player. So that's a big difference. You can say that with Turner, but he's not as mobile. Like he's not mobile enough to play the four, so he's still a five. And um, and I, I think people overrate the shot personally. So um, and like he's not like s like and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Like he might win all and like he might be the defense player of the year. So I don't think it's particularly close. Hello. Sorry, I lost you there for one second, um, but now I just got you oh, back. I, I stopped um, my, uh, the last yeah, thing was, I don't think it's particularly close. I don't hear that. Yeah, I'm just, I think it was the percentage that stood out to me when you mentioned just that one number. But when I think about Jackson, Turner to me feels like an elite shot blocker. Jackson feels to me like an elite defender who is also an elite shot blocker, like a guy who just covered, like, that was always the attraction to me of Porzingis early in his career was that if you thought of the NBA floor as, um, you know, the fabric of the universe, like just the gravity and the space that these people affect, um, whether it's Curry shooting or whether it's Porzingis's length and shooting or whether it's Jackson's ability to do things all over the court. I think that's what's, that's what I was trying to get at before when I talked about the Nick bench and about Harden Hartenstein in particular, that, that, it feels more to me like a couple of years ago, even the team that was good, like that team had everything covered. But if you lost one player, you might not have someone else who could, who could like, it wasn't necessarily a bunch of multifaceted players who combined to make a good team. It was a, a team that had everything spread out. And I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the positives about this team boil down to having a number of players who do, a number of things like well and then why as as beer was saying they might be in a better position to handle whatever randall status is than most teams would be if the same thing happened to their best player yeah um i mean i i think that there's no way to shoot like here's the thing like i think that the knicks knicks fans have for a while on twitter i've said this like i want no parts of joel Embiid. And I definitely don't want any parts of Joel Embiid and James Harden. We've beaten them this year, but like the games where we've lost are very instructive to me. The Knicks play well and like look like they should be dominating, but at the end of the third quarter ends up being tied. Yep, and then yep, there yep. the Sixers are like, oh, we can just play Harden and Embiid together, or we can just spam Harden possessions and the Knicks die. Like, mm-hmm. because we cannot guard both. Like, that's just the fact. We can't really guard either. Like, we we can put grinds on Harden. But they've had to double Harden and they've had to double Embiid. And I don't see good solutions for that because those guys are just that good. Like, that's not a knock on the Knicks. Um, I don't know why. And like, to me, like, if I look, just look at that and then add in Maxi, add in guys like Gambling and Alton, I think people are sleeping on them. So compared to that 
And the, compared to the fact that the Cavs' main strength is guard scoring, and like our main strength is like how many good perimeter defending guards we have. Um, you know, I think people have said, you know, the Cavs are the better matchup. We should not confuse the Cavs being the better matchup for them being a favorable matchup. They've been consistently in the top three or four teams in the league in um in that rating. So um, you know, we you know, we shouldn't come this con- confuse that with being a favorable matchup. It's a, it's a matchup where Tommy said 55-45 at full strength in the Knicks' favor. I'm probably closer to 45-55, if that. Mm. And um, there are shades of, like, I felt really confident before that Hawks series. And, you know, granted, things like Mitch being out played a factor. Julius Randle turning into a pumpkin. A lot of those things won't be factors this year. But one thing that will be is the fact that um, we're playing a much better team. This version of Donovan Mitchell is much better than Trey Young. <clears throat> they did not have a player like Darius Garland. Uh, Jared Allen and Evan Wilby are both better than Capella. They don't have the number of wings they had to kind of torture the Knicks in that series, but <clears throat> it's a better team. And they've been like, we should understand Cleveland is like a really good team. So it's a more favorable matchup than um, Philly because they don't have someone like Embiid. That doesn't mean like we necessarily have great odds against, or like, you know, it's it's going to be a dogfight. I think they yeah. it's a they're evenly matched. I think most rational Cavs fans would say that too. But the consistency with which the Cavs have played this season, that's a tough matchup no matter what. Without Randall, I mean like could I see it? Yeah, I mean Brunson would have to go nuclear. Quickly would also have to go nuclear. You'd probably have to play them both together. You would need an, an incredible defensive Grimes to stay aggressive the way he has the last few games. Yeah, you need Grimes to shoot the ball well. You need a great you need RJ Barrett and Hart to just be incredible at the four. Um <laughs> let me throw this to you actually. The last time I remembered this, right? When I was ten years old, I had an uncle my uncle went to Oklahoma State for his grad school, but he had just come from India. So he adopted the Texas teams because there really aren't Oklahoma teams there. So he's a Spurs fan. And in nineteen ninety nine when the Knicks played the Spurs <laughs> That was a great run. And then in that final series, he was like, who's going to guard Duncan and Robinson, right? Like, you don't have two guys like that. And I was like, we have Camby. And he was like, who's going to guard the other big? And I was like, Larry Johnson. Um, (laughs) If you paid attention, that did not work out well. And that's what worries me is like Mobley is no joke. And if we have to guard him with as great as Josh Hart has been, as capable as I think RJ Barrett is and as strong he is, like it's it's gonna be dicey. Um, you know, if like I don't think the Cavs would run their offense through Mobley anyway anyway. Um, like they're not gonna like they're gonna like that's the same thing I said like with Okoro, right? Like I don't think they're gonna say, Oh, you have Brunson on Okoro, we're just gonna post them up. They might do that a couple times, but like this is a Donovan Mitchell team. But it's the glass. Like, can you trust, especially RJ, who's been inconsistent on the defensive glass, can you trust him to, like, defend the glass against Evan Mobley? You know, these are the things that um, – these are things that – and the, the Knicks need to win the battle on the glass because they're not a great shooting team. They're not a bad shooting team. But that's one of their main things. So uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, so you, we just got to hope that Julius can get healthy and get back to full strength by, uh, by this playoff. Especially because, as is the case with the Knicks, the Cavaliers on both ends are an elite rebounding team. I'm glad you mentioned the 99 finals before we go, just because uh, another memorable moment from that series, of course, when Latrell Sprewell dunked on Jermaine Jackson Sr. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That was Jared again. (laughs) That is going to be all for this episode. If you can't wait to see the Knicks and Cavaliers play, you don't have to. Their next game is in Cleveland on Friday, and then our old friend, who I initially thought was named Kerstaps Porzingis, will be in town with the Washington Wizards on Sunday. Knicks are winding down their last handful of games of the season. After that, it's a pair of games with the Pacers sandwiched around a game in New Orleans, which is just always a weird-ass, always a weird-ass game. There is a game in New Orleans they call the Rising Sun. (laughs) <laughs> and it's been the ruin of many injured teams so can't take any of these games lightly 
Mm-hmm. Hopefully by then the Knicks have clinched the fifth spot and they can be resting and strategically getting ready for the first round. We will see. We will certainly be on the air again with you soon. For Stacey Patton, Matthew Miranda, thank you very much. We will see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.